0: All right, let's get into the stuff that we're talking about today. Um, as you can see, we are in the, the game of life, and so we got all these life pieces that are up here. These are all pieces you would find um, in, the, in a life game, in the, uh, the game of life. Um, maybe, kind of, for you guys that know board games, it's actually not. See, what happened was I went online and I ordered this really cool um, spinner. And while I did that, I thought, oh, my gosh, look at They even have a get out of jail and a, and a go and all these, too. I'm going to get them all. And then when they came, I realized, wait a minute. These aren't life pieces. These are Monopoly pieces. <laughs> and it costs too much to send them back. So now we're changing our series to the games of life, okay? It's the games of life. <laughs> so we got lots of games now. Uh, You guys, the whole series is based on a passage, one passage that will be woven through this series. It's a passage that we first addressed on Easter. It was this that Jesus shared with a group of his people. He said this, "'I came to give you life, life abundantly.'" I came to give you life, life abundantly. Jesus gave that promise to them, and it's a promise that we can claim as well today. I came to give you life, life abundantly. Now, Jim and I, when we're up here, we don't want to just throw something like that out there and just kind of just, and and just, okay, let's just all accept that and believe that, and that's, we want to be able to unpack that because the things in our life sometimes don't look like we have abundant life. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Why doesn't it feel that way? What's prohibiting this from being true in our life? What's inhibiting this from being true in our life? And so we want to talk through those things over this series called The Game of Life, okay? So so let's let's pray together that we might be honest with our own thoughts about that passage and how true they might or might not be in our life. And, uh, and then let's dig into it. Father, um, we thank you. We thank you that, that we get to come here and, and we get to be honest with you and we get to, to ask the questions and, and seek our, our, walk through our own um, doubt, our own um, misunderstanding, and our understanding of who you are. God, we pray that as we spend time with you, you would draw us closer to you and that we would, in the end, be able to recognize that this promise is for every person here. Abundant life in you. Help us to figure out what that means. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So before we get going on that, I got to tell you, yesterday, yesterday was the Rock Creek garage sale. And so, uh, so all the people in Rock Creek, or some of them, they put their stuff out in front of their house, and people drive by, and they, 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 you know, we each have our little garage sale. Well, we do that too, and ours tends to be the house that you put the stuff out in front and people drive by slowly, and they look at it, and they go, uh-uh, nothing there. And they just drive on to the next place. You, you know, there's a, that's a personal attack, I feel. I sit out, I sat out there in a chair for four hours watching people go, uh-uh, junk, junk. You know, so I, I, I mean, I, I. I I take offense to it, so if any of you guys did that, I take offense to you on that. Um, But here's one thing I didn't do yesterday. I did not open my garage door. Okay, everything I put, we put the stuff on the driveway. We didn't open the garage door because I didn't want anybody to see what was happening on the inside of that garage. I did not want to, I didn't want anybody to see the mess, the massive, jumbled, junk mess that's all around our, the inside of our garage. I can blame it on my college students that, that came home and brought all their crap home with them, but in the end, it's me. 90% of the year, that's my garage, and it's just a, an absolute sty. It's, it's embarrassing, and so I just keep the door shut. I drive up to my driveway, and I walk right past it, and I know I am two inches away from nasty, gross mess, and so I just ignore it, and I go inside. And every once in a while, I have to go out and get something to drink, out of the little beverage, the refrigerator we have out there, and there's a tiny little pathway that's in between all the stuff, and you get your drink, and then you hurry back in because you don't want to know what's out there. You don't want to know how many mice are living out there now. You know, you just don't want anything to do with the garage, so you just leave it and you just hope that life can continue even though that bugs you, okay? That's, that's it. In fact, I brought some of my garage because you guys know me. I have to bring some of it because you can't picture it, so I have to show it to you. This, you guys, is a screen, okay? We've got about five of these in our garage from 20 years of living there. Jackie says we keep them so that when she makes a new one, she gets the dimensions off the old one we don't go to the screen that's right next to it and measure that we keep these five of them for uh, someday when you need those dimensions okay that's just straight garbage okay that's just straight garbage we got garbage in our garage that's sitting there that all that needs to happen is you put it right next into this big blue garbage bin that's provided for you but we don't do that we just keep it sitting there in fact i've got this this is this is an umbrella this is an umbrella that broke four years ago, and um, I'm gonna fix it someday. Okay, um, we got we got this. This is uh, my son in high school um, when he's playing football. They made a fat head of him, and it's it's such a cute picture that you know. What do you do with that? Uh, you got. Paint cans? Who's got paint cans in there? in there, you know, can't, don't throw it away, you know, because you're not supposed to. It's bad for the environment. But what do you do? You just then sit it in a shelf. And they go, well, one of these times I'll go back to the paint that I used 18 years ago on my living room and repaint that. I'll just take it to Home Depot. They'll shake it up. So there's paint cans. There's one can of paint that spills on the floor of the, of the garage. And it just leaves a nice big stain, Clean it up with everything you can, but in the end, it's still a stain and I can't get anything out. I can't get it out. So there's just a stain that's sitting there. My favorite of all the things I've got in my garage are these things, you guys. This is 27 years of Sports Illustrateds. <laughs> the US, hockey, U.S. Olympic hockey team, Sportsman of the Year. Do you remember that? 19, what, 80? 1980. From 1963 to 1990, I have every single Sports Illustrated. 27 years, 27 boxes, okay? This is things that you used to store at your parents' house, and as a college student, you think you could store for the rest of your life at your parents' house, but one day, your parents decide their 4,000-square-foot home is not big enough, and so they need to t- you need to take all your stuff out. It's about a five-year shelf life. About 25, you realize parents want their room that they will never go in... But they want it. So come and get your 27 boxes of Sports Illustrateds. Those now sit in our crawl space, in our closets, and in our garage. What do you do with them? You just have a bunch of stuff you don't know what to do with. You guys, in my garage, I have got junk, Garbage that I don't know that I'm just just sitting there. I got stuff I don't know what to do with that's been there for 20 years. I got stains that have been sitting there, and I'm just have to accept that I'm gonna this is gonna be the rest of my life. I'm just gonna have these there. You guys, I just, just described without exaggeration my plight in my garage that I choose to live with. But did I not just also describe what's on our hearts? that I also not just describe what's on our souls, the things that weigh heavy on us, that we have garbage, we have garbage that is, that is sitting there that you just know is garbage in your life and it's just sitting there and we know it and, and we convince ourselves, let's just might as well keep adding it. What's one more piece of garbage? It's just stuff that's on my heart. We got stuff on our hearts that have been on our hearts for 20 years. Things that you have not addressed, things that you have addressed, things that you've tried to address that have been sitting on our hearts for years, they tend to surface in the worst moments, and then when they do, the people closest to us have to deal with that because those things surface. We've got things, we've disappointed people, we've got broken hearts in this, we've got attempts at, at, at wanting to improve our life and we sabotage ourselves, those kinds of things sit on our hearts. We've got stuff on our hearts that are, that are stains that we conclude this will be the rest of my life. That season will be the rest of my life. And it affected my, my family. It affects my kids. It affects my, my job. It, it, it's the rest of my life and it's this stuff. We have all this stuff on our hearts and we all live with it. We know it's there and we say, okay, I'll try to ignore it as much as I can, but we'll live with it. And over time, it just gradually grows and grows. Over the years of working here at Ascent, I just realized, man, when I meet one-on-one with you, I'm going, oh my gosh, there's some more stuff that's laying on your heart. Some ways that you've... Some, some thoughts that you've carried, some hurt that you've carried, some issues that you carry, some, some mistakes that you carry. And they're all on our hearts, and we all have them. There is a person in this room that's exempt from what I just described. Every single one of us has it on our hearts, okay? We've got, we've got, to, we've got to recognize that first. We got it. We've got the mess, but then we come to church and we hear this, pa- we, we read this passage. I came to give you life, life abundantly. And, and then we'll have our pastor, you'll hear a pastor that would give the Greek for that. And the, the Greek for abundance is parisos. And it's something further, more, much more than all, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon. And you'll look at that and you'll go, I want that life. I want a life that is abundant life that's uncommon and surpassing and extraordinary. I want that life. And we go home, we say, Yes, Jesus, I want that life. You come back from a mission trip and you go, I want that life. You come out of a Bible study and you go, man, I want that life. And then Monday comes. And you wake up on Monday morning and you're going, wait a minute, I got the same old life. I got the same old issues. That roommate that I didn't like are still there. Jesus, where's this abundant life? I thought the part of abundant life was that that roommate would be gone. You know, you're, you wake up and you look at your spouse and you go, same husband, really? gosh. I was hoping Ryan Reynolds would be right there, but now it's just still him, you know? And you, you, you just go, same, it's the same, it's the same car, same car with the same problems, same financial issues, same stress you got. And you're going, where's the abundant life? And so our conclusion is, that must not be for me. Our conclusion is, I, I must be doing something wrong. That, that, that abundant life, it's not for me. That, that's that's where, what we conclude. But here's where we make the mistake. We continue to look at, at we, we ask Jesus, we spend time, we say, yes, I want that abundant life. And then we look at our life and we evaluate it based on what we see. And see, we want Jesus to have changed everything on the outside. And he's in the business of changing everything on the inside. Jesus is in the business saying, no, 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 here's where abundant life will begin. And as we work on abundant life from the inside out, then as that's expressed, we'll be able to see it more in our life, and especially other people will be blessed by it. But man, it's going to start by first working on, on the stuff on the inside. That's where abundant life will happen. Well, what can keep that abundant life from happening? Man, that's what we gotta, that's what we got uh, to, to learn more about. Jesus speaks to us about that actually in this passage. This was in John 10.10. 10. Well, he writes more about this. So let's look at it in, that context, in the context. What is John writing about? And let's figure out what are the things that might keep us from Jesus working from the inside out. Let's look at this. It says this. It says... What's it say? It says this, "'Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep.'" So this is part of this passage from John 10, 10. This is just before it. I, I, "'I tell you I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved, and I will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly.'" So see, what he's saying is this. He's saying, there's our passage, I came to have life, but he's saying, there is a thief. Let's just work it backwards. There is a thief that comes to kill and steal and destroy, to destroy that abundant life. A thief can come and do that. And he says, but I'm the shepherd and, and I'm, I'm going to stand at the gate and what those people knew is they knew that, that that in this, they're the sheep and he's the shepherd. And They knew that what shepherds do is they stand at the gate with a rod and a staff. If any of you guys are familiar with Psalm 23, it says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There was a rod and a staff. There was a rod that had a metal nail at the end of it that would chase off animals to, 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 to protect the sheep. And there was a staff that had a hook on the end of it that when a sheep would go astray, they'd be able to pull it back and, and, and make sure that it would go. Got back to the rest of the flock, that he had a rod and a staff to protect the sheep. And then the shepherd would lay his body down. He didn't just go home at the end of the day. He would lay his body down at the entrance to the gate to protect his sheep, even at night, even in the scariest moments, that he's going to protect his sheep because he's saying the thief is out there and the thief's job is to steal, rob, or kill you of abundant life. Now, where does that thief get its foothold then? Let's go a little bit further back. It says this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. So this is now earlier on in chapter 10. He says, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger because they will run from him because they do not know the voice of a stranger. So what Jesus is saying is, look, you guys all know this because they did know this at that time. A shepherd, when he would call out his sheep, they knew his voice. Two shepherds could be standing there with, a, with two flocks of sheep that are, that are all mixed up and he could just call out his sheep and it would separate out the sheep because they would recognize the sheep, the shepherd's voice. They recognize his voice, and he is saying to every one of us, now listen to this, he's saying to every one of us, you know my voice. You're going, oh, I don't know what that sounds like. No, he's going, no, you know. You know my voice. He's saying abundant life, that's going to come as you listen to my voice. My voice is a voice that starts out with love. My voice is a voice that says, I love you. My voice says, I forgive you. My voice says, I did not come to judge you. My voice says, I challenge you. My voice says, I'll push you. My voice says, you don't have to fear. My voice says, okay, when you start to fear, guess what? I'm, I'm bigger than that. My voice says that when you carry guilt, I'm there to walk with you. When my voice says you can doubt and I will still walk with you in the midst of that doubt. My voice says, I will be with you always to the ends of the age. So when you're saying that you're feeling lonely, I'm going to be with you in those moments too. That's my voice. This entire book is filled with his voice. And he's going, you know my voice. Every one of you, you know my voice. It's in there. Even if you don't distinguish that that is God, You know my voice. That is powerful for him to say, even as we argue with it, even as we doubt it. It's powerful for Jesus to say to every one of us, you know my voice. I love when Ernie McManus says about this, a pastor down in California. He says, God will keep speaking to you even when it drives you to madness. God is talking to you even if you don't believe in him. I love that. Even if you, you could be sitting here as an atheist and saying, I don't believe it at all, and his voice is still there. His voice is echoing in the chambers of your soul. I love you. I love you. I love you. He keeps speaking life into us. And I love what Erwin what says about this with, with the voice, because he's saying, we still might say, I, but I don't know what that is. And he says, here's a simple way to understand God's voice. It is the contradictory voice to all the other ones you hear. All the other ones you hear that that is one lie piled on another lie in those voices that we tend to hear all the time. This is the contradictory voice to that man, I started writing some of them down. The the, the voice that says we're not lovable. The voice that says we don't even even try, you will fail again. The one that says you will sabotage yourself from any good efforts. The one that says you're forgotten, you're overlooked, you're unwanted, that says you'll never be loved, that says you'll never be happy, that says you'll always be alone, that says you'll live in your mistakes. Those mistakes will define you. He is disappointed in you that says, nope, you'll never be able to change that habit. Instead of grace comes shame. Instead of encouragement, discouragement. Instead of presence, it's loneliness. Those are the voices of the thief that will come in and try to rob and steal abundant life from you. How? By those voices speaking up louder, louder than the voice of God. How do those voices have any power to speak up louder? Well, I believe a lot of those voices originate from the things that we allow to continue to linger on our hearts. When you start unpacking this stuff that's lingering on our hearts, voices come from that. When you sit here and you say, you know, yes, my, my father just, I never could meet the expectation of my dad. I never could meet it. I kept trying and I couldn't meet it. And then that lingers on our hearts. How does that not end up coming to a screaming voice that says, and guess what? You're gonna disappoint your heavenly father as well. You'll never meet the expectation of your heavenly father. How is that screaming voice not the voice that we end up hearing when that's lingering on our soul? When, 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 when heartbreak and, and, and dis- loneliness sits on our soul, how do we not hear the voice that says, you will always be alone? And that voice will be screaming loud, especially in our most vulnerable, weakest, or the times where we have been beaten down. Those voices will emerge and they'll be screaming at us. How do you not, if you have got stains on your life that every one of us have, how do you not, in the end, just hear that voice to say, that defines you, that season of life, that mistake you made, that foolishness that you went through, that thing that you just keep coming back to every once in a while going, I can't believe I did it, that stuff, that defines you, that, ca- that will walk with you the rest of your life. How do you not hear that voice? That voice screams loud. And we miss the voice of Jesus where we can find abundant life. Even in the garbage that we know is in our life. Even those things. We know some of the garbage that we just got to take care of and throw away. And then just go, yeah, you tried that once. It didn't work. Just keep letting the garbage pile up. No big deal. You've already messed up once. Why not mess up again? You've You've already filled this garage full of garbage. Just bring some more on. No one will know any different. How is that voice not winning? How is that voice not screaming out at you? Because we're letting it linger. Look what Andy Stanley talks about this with linger. He says, the things that disrupt the rhythms of the invisible heart linger. If left alone, some will linger for a lifetime. After a while, we will accept these disruptors as part of us, part of our personality. We will catch ourselves saying, that's just the way I am. Or that's just the way it is. How many of us have said that? Do you catch that voice? That voice? That's just the way I am. Henry Nowen says this, and if you've never read any Henry Nowen, man, you got to read some. He speaks right to your heart. He says, when we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. Self-rejection, is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. How often are you hearing that voice that you are the beloved? Or is our self-rejection and those voices winning? And I, I don't want to admit that I that I know this, but I do. This is my 3 o'clock voice. This is my 3 a.m. voice. My 3 a.m. voice that says you disappointed your wife again. You disappointed your kids again. You disappointed your staff again. You disappointed your church again. You disappointed your friends again. You disappointed your, your roommate again. You just well, for me it's you disappointed your parents or you disappointed you dis-. and then in the end you hear this voice, you disappoint me. I know that's not true. I know that is not the truth that God is trying to speak to me, but that's the truth, that is the, the, the lie that I, for some reason, hear. And I think it's because of some of the things that we have lingering on our soul. Now, what do we do about it? Well, guess what? John writes about a guy that comes into the, he's in John 1 at the very beginning in the message version. He says, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And so Jesus moves into the neighborhood. And, and, and the first thing he does is he comes and he knocks on our door. And, and Jim talked about this last week too. He talked about this passage. I mean, I just, it's a passage that we have to let sink in. Look at it it's in Revelations 3. It says, I see, I stand knocking at the door. If anyone listens to my voice and opens the door, I will go into his house and dine with him and he with me. Now the issue you hear you guys is he's not standing in our front door he's standing in our garage door and he's knocking on our garage door and we might look at it and go Jesus nobody knocks on a garage door he is he's knocking on our garage door and he continues to knock and we can't hear him because we got so much crap in our garage that we can't hear him and so we're in the, in the house and we can't hear it but eventually you start to hear this random knocking in the distance and he's knocking and then you hear it, and you can't, now you can't get it out of your head. It's knocking, and it's knocking, and it's knocking. And that is, all, that is the disruption on our soul. When all this stuff is on there, there's going, somebody's there that's going, man, I don't want that there. Let's work on that. And it's Jesus knocking on that. And finally, we're realizing, oh, it's somebody just outside of the garage, and now we have to have the courage to push the button on the garage door and have it open and when we do Jesus standing right there and you guys listen to this. We all have to hear this. When that door opens, he is not disappointed in your mess. Some of us that that had some some religious background say oh yes he is. He is not disappointed with the mess that he sees. We, are, we push that door open and we think he just looks in and goes, oh my gosh, I'm gonna to go to the neighbor who has less garbage. He's not disappointed in what he sees. The only thing that breaks the heart of Jesus in this is our reluctancy to invite him into that mess. That's what breaks the heart of Jesus. He's going, let me in. Because I want to help work through these things that are laying on your heart and laying on your soul and keeping you from experiencing abundant life because voices are coming from it. He's, he's, Jesus is going, look, what do you do when you, when you have a mess? You have to clean it up. And how do you clean it up? You put it into piles. What kind of piles? I'll tell you what, the simple way to see Jesus' piles, he has three piles. He says, things you got to deal with, things we got to deal with, and things I got to deal with. Those are the three piles. Jesus just goes, let's just start sorting it out. Things you got to deal with, things we got to deal with, and things I got to deal with. See, so he looks at the things we got to deal with. He's going, man, this is just straight garbage. This is just stuff in your life that you know is garbage. You know it is. I don't even have to remind you. You just know it's garbage, and you know it's sitting there next to a garbage can. You, gotta, you just got to stick it into the garbage can. There's times where he'd, he'll stand before a group of people, and he'll say, man, if your eye is causing you to stumble, cut it out. He's not saying gouge your eyeball out, but he's saying, you know, that's garbage, and you know, that's not, you know that's not good. you got to do something about that. Well, wait a minute. Will well, you do it for me? No, no you just, you just got to cut that part out. That's just garbage that you know is garbage. Some of you dudes, some of you guys that are married, you guys, some, 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 t- some of the things you're inviting into your marriage is garbage and you know it is. The conversations you're having with somebody else at work, the things you might do late at night, the 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 lack of affirmation of your wife's call and while she's affirming your call in your life you know that there's some things in your life that you're going man this is garbage and you know that Jesus is saying come on just clean that part up you know that that's the, the garbage can's right there clean up the garbage and then he's looking at this part and he's going this is this is a massive pile this are the things that we got to work on together these are some deep seated stuff this is stuff that, that, that have been sitting on your heart for 20 years, for 10 years. These are these are these are those layers and layers and layers that you're just going, I don't even know what to do with. And Jesus is saying, Can we work on this together? This might take a while, but can we work on this together? It might even be leading you, he might even be leading us towards a Christian counselor. Why would you go to a Christian counselor? Because you need somebody that will unpack this stuff and remind you of the voices. And remind you of the voice. The voice that says uh, that he loves you. The voice that says you can overcome. The voice that says you don't have to fear. You need to be reminded of the voice. And so maybe that's going to come through some help. Maybe the Lord might provide you a mentor or somebody in your life that will remind you of those things. Maybe it's having to get you into a group of other people that will remind each other of those things. Maybe it's God just, Jesus just saying, How about the two of us open this word together? Because he promises us when he opens this word, he's with us. And then we can learn to hear his voice. But he's saying, We got to do this one together. This is going to take some time. I'm right here with you. Let's work on this pile. And then there are things that he's saying, This is mine. This stain that's on your heart that you think you're carrying for the rest of your life, this one, it's mine. See, you don't have the power to clean this stain off, but I do. John writes, writes this down in 1 John. He says, if you confess, if you confess your sins. See, and all that is is saying, I'm gonna open the garage door and let him to this part. I'm gonna, this stain that's sitting here I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him into this part, that's all that means. I'm gonna let him in right here. And he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. You know what that means? That means he's getting on his knees and he's scrubbing it. And you're going, but it's still leaving a stain. He's going, it won't. Because he, he has the power to purify us of all unrighteousness, it says. He has the power to make us as clean, as white as snow. You guys, when I was like five years old, I walked down to the basement of our house and I was carrying a, 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 jar of peanut, I mean, a jar of ketchup back when they made it in glass jars. And I dropped it at the bottom of the stairs and it spilled the entire thing of ketchup all over this concrete floor. And my mom went down there and she cleaned it all up. But the red stain just stayed on that concrete floor as long as we lived in that house. It just stayed, it stayed on that concrete floor. And every time I'd go down there, I would be embarrassed by the red stain. That's mine, I dropped the ketchup. That's mine to this day. I still remember that, that, that stain that was on that floor. Jesus is going, man, you know what? I'm gonna scrub that thing up. There will not be a stain left. You can't clean that. That's me and my love and my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness and my power. I can redeem that. That's my voice you're not marked by that that's my voice and when you start to embrace my voice now you're starting to go here's what abundant life starts to look like as we start to unpack these things you hear my voice and now we're starting to unpack abundant life when you start to look at the mass and the garbage you might even say, Jesus, some of this stuff I keep, I keep trying and I keep, I, I gotta, can I bring it over here? Yeah, and you're gonna start hearing my voice. Now, when you do this, it might lead to a breakdown. It, you might break down over some of this. This is some deep-seated hard stuff that sits on our hearts. But I heard someone say where there's breakdown, there's also breakthrough. And when, you get, when, it's, when you're broken down from it, Jesus can break through. And all of a sudden, those voices that, used, that were dominating can change, and you hear a stronger voice. And that is the voice of Jesus that says, I love you, I love you, I love you. I wanna to finish today with a, with a, with a testimony from a good friend. Sarah Boonster works in our church, and she's, she, she's, she's on our staff, and, and she's, a, she's a brilliant, brilliant woman. And, and um, you know, you sit with her and you go, wow, there's a, there's a lot of experience there and there's a lot of things you can share with other people. And, 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 but Sarah also, she started writing and, and she has this blog. And just yesterday I was, I was working on my talk and, and I was, you know, I was thinking through this part and as we're finishing up and, and I read her blog and she wrote exactly the stuff that I'm talking about. And and I'm going, what, did she steal my notes? You know, she works on staff, she probably stole my notes this week. Because she just, she wrote, it's just exactly what I'm talking about as she gives her testimony of what's happening in her life with it. And the reason I wanted to read this at the end is because you might disagree with me. You might say, well, I don't know if I fully agree with what you're saying. But it's hard to argue with someone's testimony. This is their life that they're seeing. You—it's you, hard to argue with that testimony. And so I asked her permission to read just a little bit of this blog to finish up. Okay, so so here's here's what she says. She, she sets the table by saying I, she describes some of the piles in her garage. She describes some of the things that are lingering on her heart and linger on her soul. And she knows those things are are, are bringing up a lot of voices in her life. And she says this. She says I draw painful experiences in in close to my heart, and I let them Them take over all other feelings. I give small things a megaphone. I love that that imagery. I give small things a megaphone to pronounce lies over how the world sees me, how my coworkers see me, and how my friends see me. We give those voices a megaphone because of the old wounds. I give the lies power. I build walls around my heart to keep out anything that could possibly hurt me. The isolation is lonely and can feel pretty dark. One feeling can spiral into more hurt feelings and pretty quickly I have a view of myself that is so far from the truth. You see how the voices can bring us so far from the truth. She says, the best way I know to combat these feelings is to bring these lies into the light. What she's talking about as a pastor scripture, she doesn't quote this, I just thought, went right to Ephesians 5, 12 through 14 that says, the things that are done in secret are things that people are ashamed to even speak of, but anything exposed by the light will be illuminated and anything illuminated turns into light. She says, I bring these lies into the light to identify the things that I've been given power and label them for what they are, to humbly raise my hands and surrender to God, turn over the hurt to him, let go of my grip of self-protection and allow myself to be vulnerable to being hurt again, knowing that he has promised to protect me, knowing that he stands at the gate, knowing that he lays down on the ground, knowing the thief is there, to rob us of this life through the voices that we allow to linger on our hearts. She says, doing this is a constant cycle of surrender. I acknowledge my feelings to God, turn them over to Him, and listen to His words of affirmation. I am a child of God, chosen and dearly loved, never forgotten or overlooked, precious, Be loved. The courage to open the door can only come from Jesus. The courage for her to open that door, even allow other people to speak into that, that comes from Jesus. Because he does stand there saying, I'm not going to be disappointed. I just want to work with you. That's Sarah's story. But it can be ours too. We have to recognize it's there. And then we got to invite him in. And we got to hear his voice of truth that leads us to abundant life. The lies, it's they're done and then we invite him in again and hear his voice again. You know that voice. Father, we pray (laughs) that you would would help us to to hear it, to recognize it. God, we pray that you would give us the people in our life to, to speak it for us when we don't know what's going on. We pray for the things that are that have been on our heart for years that I might joke about with, a, with a, things in my garage, but we know that they are real and they can be painful. God, in the, even in the moments where we might break down from it, we pray that breakthrough would happen and that you would speak to us of your love, your truth, your grace, your mercy. Speak to us and God, help us to hear your voice to drown out the thief and the lies. God, we pray that each one of us can claim that because we want abundant life. Help us in our marriages, in our relationships, in ourselves to grab hold of that abundant life through your voice. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen.